Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Alan Alda on communicating and his new film, Marriage Story. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, the true icon that is Alan Alda. I can't believe Alan Alda was just in my office, Sammy. I I can still feel him here. (laughs) Uh, Sammy, of course, uh, back on the podcast for... I don't know, three or four of the last episodes. I Sammy's can't been count. here. Yeah, we, it's a little known fact about Sammy. <laughs> yeah. She has no ability to count. I'm uh, more of an English and history person. <laughs> um, but yeah, Alan Alda was just here. He's someone like I'd never even fathomed would be on this podcast. I don't think Alan Alda is of a real as a real person. That's made. He's major. Like, he's too big for this. Yeah, clearly. It was yeah. a horrible decision. <laughs> did he you? regretted it the <laughs> moment he saw you. No, we had a good time. He uh, Did you know Alan Alda has a podcast? No. It's worth listening to. I've looked. I've, I've been listening since I knew he was coming With on. With that voice. Great Ugh. voice. Clear and Vivid is the podcast. And you heard me say in the intro about communication. This is kind of the passion of his life, which is how we communicate in all forms, whether it's with loved ones or scientists communicating with each other, politicians, artists. He is obsessed with how we communicate and how we can communicate better. And in this podcast, I'm plugging his podcast more than my own, but it's a good one. Rightfully so. Um, Everybody stop listening. Stop listening to Alan's podcast. He talks to people um, in all aspects of life. And it's a a really cool array of guests. Uh, Definitely check it out. And as you said, he's got one of the best voices in the business. He really does. comforting. So soothing. Um, so he came in here, not necessarily to promote the podcast, though we do talk about that, but uh, he's also in the new film Marriage Story, which is from writer-director Noah Baumbach, who you may know from Squid and the Whale, um, uh, Greenberg, a whole bunch of great movies. Um, this is his latest. That might be my favorite of his, which is saying a lot. Uh, it's definitely... It's one of my favorite. It's, it's top three or so of the year for me. Wow. It's really great. Big yeah. to say this early. I, yeah, it's going to stick up there. I'm pretty sure. I've only seen it once. I need to go back and see it again. It stars Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And it's kind of a story of really divorce. It's a, it's a couple separating. They have a kid. And how they are dealing with, you know, the all the complexities of splitting up, including lawyers and custody, et cetera. Um, it's, really, it's really funny. It's really sweet. Um yeah, great performances. Adam Driver is, is a real contender to win Best Actor for this, I think. And he's all—he's like the king of Christmas season this year. He, well, yeah, well, he's got that in Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, he's everywhere. And the Amazon one too. Oh yeah, the Report, which yeah. is also good. The Report is worth checking out too. He's great. He's mm. really great in it. And Scarlett, one of her best performances too. I think she'll be nominated. Laura Dern is in oh, it. Oh, great. I think, not to get all too awardsy, but I think she's, she could win for Supporting Actress. There's a lot of potential yeah. here, and, is what you're and, saying. And Alan Alda plays um, Adam Driver's attorney in the film. Laura Dern's kind of the attorney on the other side. Got it. Um, and he's great in it. And he's just, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's a character that has a bit of like that, that Alan Alda folksy kind of persona, but is is also still the distinct from the other uh, stuff he's played. So this was a, a, a delight. He's so easy to talk to. Does he tap dance? He did not tap. You sent me that video. Right before he walked in, hoping that you would see it and realize <laughs> this is what people want to talk about. So what was it? That was him and his granddaughter? Yes, tap dancing in his garage. Aww. 
So, but I don't understand why you didn't ask him about that. You know what? You start your own rival podcast in the, in, in, in the office next door. Get the real. That's what you should be doing. You should be grabbing answer. all my guests as yeah. they walk out. Be like, okay, let's do a real one now. Helen, I dabbled in tap. <laughs> Let's talk. Well, I wanted to leave room for our next conversation. That's smart, actually. But he is an inspiration. He's 83 years old. He is no. so... Yeah. He's oh. so busy. He's he's sharp as a tack. He's, 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 he's doing acting, podcasting, writing. He does it all. And he is an institution that I want to be around forever. So, uh, so thrilled to have Alan Alda on the show today. I should mention Marriage Story is out in theaters in New York, but it's also going to be on Netflix... December 6th, so you have no excuse, guys. December 6th, you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. Um, that being said, if you're in New York, probably in L.A. too, see it on a big screen, it's worth it. Uh, that's all I got, Sammy. Well, that's enough. That's enough, right? We don't need to talk before Alan Alda's coming. Who no, cares? People are here for the Alda. Yeah, they're not here for us chit-chatting. All right. Let's get to the main event, Mr. Alan Alda. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy, Sad, Confused. Spread the good word. And please enjoy this chat with the one and only Mr. Alan Alda. Nothing funny to say this time, Sammy? No, No, I was thinking of something and then I freaked out. Uh, fart noise. Alan Alda's about to be on. All right. I'm going to probably cut this part out. <laughs> How's it going? How's your day been? Good. They just interviewed me for an hour at the SAG place. Oh, okay. This will be easy compared to that. A little shorter. And now we're, in, we're like an hour and 20. Wow. This is your wife, Alan Alda? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I kept saying, I don't remember that part. You remember a fair bit. I've seen some interviews with you. I think you've got the your brain's very much intact, sir. How's it going? Good. Let me Good. turn the make sure this is off. Um, I'm thrilled to have you here today, sir. Thank you. Very nice of you. I don't know a... I don't know an existence without Alan Alda in my life. This is this is like Mickey Mouse walking into my office. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I meant that as a compliment. As it came out, I was like, hmm, wait, is that a compliment? <laughs> yeah, Pluto, I would, that would be okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Pluto has just walked into my yeah. office. Um, but congratulations on, I mean, there's a lot to cover, but first and foremost, uh, most present in my mind is this wonderful performance and film you're a part of, which is Marriage Story. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm very proud to be part of that movie. I think it's a wonderful movie. Really unusual. Yeah, Noah Baumbach is a special talent. I mean, I've been a fan right from the start, but this might be his, his best work, which is saying something. Um, well, talk to me first, uh... You're now a podcaster in recent years. That's right. You yeah. have me beat. You've been doing it for a few years, and I've been listening to a bunch of them. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. I love doing this show. And we've, we've done it for about a year and a half. And I must have had 70 conversations in that time with the most interesting people. A very wide array. Couldn't, yeah, you couldn't I, run the gamut more. No, I really try to get a, a wide variety of people because we're all talking about pretty much one thing but as right. it applies to every aspect of life yeah which is communication and the way we relate to one another so that therefore it's good to talk to my microphone, <laughs> microphone has a life of his, of his own moving away from <laughs> it's trying to tell us something uh so the the idea that we have people from different walks of life yeah means that judge judy has something to say about relating. Yeah. So does uh, George Mitchell, Madeleine Albright, Yo-Yo right. Ma, 
Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Uh, Everybody yeah. has a different... And the, 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 the hostage negotiator from the FBI, Chris Voss. Amazing. Yeah. Did, were you... Uh, was podcasting something you were even aware of before you dove in? Oh, sure. And yeah. I've heard podcasts. I'm, a, I'm sort of a nerd. It seems like you're very much on the cutting edge. I mean, you know, a lot of people like kind of like their life contracts. I feel like your life hasn't contracted. You're very much no, open to the world. No, I it just keeps expanding. I, 15 or 20 years ago, my friends would give me their computers to repair. <laughs> Side so, business for you? Sometimes I could repair them just by thinking and I'd say, try pressing that button. <laughs> but it was, I, so I jokingly started signing my emails to them. Uh, celebrity tech support. <laughs> and the slogan was, why let a nobody touch your stuff? I mean, bragging rights. My yeah. computer was fixed by multiple Emmy Award winner, Helen <laughs> <Right>. Alda. <laughs> that makes it really fixed. That's right. That yeah. makes the printer really do its thing, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'm, you know, I joke about you coming in and kind of being like this larger-than-life personality. You are, I would imagine, someone that is very approachable. Like you, 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 you know, whether we go back to MASH, where you were literally in all our homes for 11 years and like the most watched TV at the time to all of your varied work, you, you project a very open personality. Has that been something that's, is that a burden for you? I mean, walking the streets of New York for many years as you have. No, you know, then the older I get, the more respectful people are who recognize me. In the beginning, it was very hard to be famous Yeah, because... People would grab at me, and then with one hand they'd grab at me, and with the other hand they'd point and say, "Hey, Fred, look what I got! <laughs> I got one of them celebrities." I, I swear to God, somebody actually said that once. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky you weren't kidnapped. Who knows where yeah. you're going to end up? So I had to get used to it, but I I always thought yeah. that I want to be the person that I am, and not have two personas. Right. That's more work to have to, to... Well, yeah, and it's it's something fake about it. Right. But it's hard because people, understandably, nobody knows you except the people who know you really well. Right. So you're known as a, an avatar. Yes. So I don't... I don't, I don't want to live my life as an avatar. No. I want to be me. How <laughs> to be my song. I want to be me. <laughs> there you go. Are you, am I correct? You have an office here in the city still? You yeah. Have, so, do you, yeah. Uh, so what's like, what's a typical, like do you go into the office often? Like what's your. No, you, I seldom go into the office. Yeah. The office is mainly for the people who work with me. And the, all the communication training company. Well, I was going to say, you have a lot of different hats you can wear, a yeah. lot of different pursuits. So is that feel like it keeps you, keeps your mind active that you can like, whether yeah, one day it's acting, know, one day it's... You know, when you keep trying to do new things, things you haven't done before, yeah. you, you're literally like a kid because you're starting out. Yeah. And... I do get pleasure out of doing what I know how to do. I think that's one of the great pleasures in life is to do what you know how to do. But the second pleasure, not as much fun sometimes because you have to work. Right. It's to learn things. To learn a new language, learn a new trade. And I had this idea 10 or 20 years ago that we could probably train scientists to be more connected to the people they were trying to communicate with, with everybody they're trying to communicate with, the public, right. other scientists, funders, policymakers, yep. Congress, you know. And 
turns out it is possible. We've been training them for 10 years, and we've trained 15,000 scientists and physicians. And they, most of them get transformed by the workshops. And we start with this unusual thing of, of t teaching them exercises in improvisation. Oh, really? Not comedy improvisation. <laughs> We're not making them actors or comics. Right. And that sometimes they get a little, they get that frown you have on your face right now. <laughs> where they say, well, improv, what do you, what's this? What's, wait a minute. <laughs> but all it really does is put them in contact with another person in right. a way they're not used to being. Where you really listen, you really begin to have empathy with the other, for what the other person is going through. And if you have that, if you can develop that, then, as, then you can speak to what matters to them. Right. If you know have some curiosity about what does matter to them, you can speak to that. Not that you don't tell them the truth about what you have to say, but that you can put it in a way that engages them. Right. Makes them want to know more. I mean, this is really the, the common theme that, I mean, the more I read about you and the more I hear from you, that runs through your life, which is communication and, and, and how we, in all its facets. Where does, uh, can you trace back where this fascination comes from? Did you... Does this go all the way back to childhood where in terms of like, were you not able to communicate with friends and family or, or what, what's, what's the connection there, you think? There may be two things. One is my mother, unfortunately, was schizophrenic and paranoid. Right. That was hard to live with. And I had to, I had to often try to figure out if what she was saying was reality or just her reality. So there was a little bit of reading the other person that had to go on there so I could get through the day yeah. and not feel that I was trying to kill her the way she thought I was from yeah. time to time. You know. Uh, the, the other thing is I, I do remember, I don't know if it's an outgrowth of what I just said or just was a separate thing. I remember as a kid, you know, six, seven, eight, even younger, Wondering what was going on when I was sitting at a table with a bunch of adults. Mm. Why, why did he say that to her? What did he mean by that? What's that phrase they use? What's that tone of voice? Yeah. What's going on? Which is really now, in a way, what we teach people to, to do to communicate, to read the other person. Right. I sometimes wonder, what do, what do you, you, you may be more in touch with young kids, do you think that kids that age are sitting with adults now, listening to them, trying to figure them out, or are they just on their iPhones? I think it can't be denied that there is more opportunity to section ourselves off. I think, I, I think there's always going to be an element of that. I, see that. I don't have kids myself, but I see it in my nieces and nephews that they are. Yeah. They pick up on more of what adults are saying than I think the parents ever think they <laughs> yeah, are. they got an ear going while they're right? on the iPhone. But... I mean, the, the concern I think that many of us have, right, is like we, don't, we won't know for another 30 years. Like this is the first generation that has come yeah. glued to that phone and that device. The next generation will have huge thumbs. <laughs> I hope it's, that's the biggest problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm curious, like, so you, you talk about kind of like eavesdropping on the adults in your world. Did, did you live in, did you feel, your dad was a performer, yeah. a successful actor. Um, were you exposed primarily like were you living in a more of an adult world than, than a kid's world because of being on his sets and in the theater 
I think I did live more in an adult world because when I was from the time I was born till I was about seven, we were traveling around from one city to another, and my companions were burlesque comics and nightclub comics, and yeah. uh, I didn't know many kids. So it kind of stands to reason I try to figure out what the adults are saying, what, right. what they mean by what they're saying. Yeah. Because they'd often talk in joke talk or right. pri- the private language of burlesque. Or, it was, I, I, had a, I had a really, I, I thought that that was the world. I thought the world was made up of entertainers and civilians who were unfortunate people who didn't get to entertain. <laughs> Did your dad convey a love of what he was doing? Was he frustrated or happy or what? When no, were... he was always happy. I he think. was. Well, he got anxious later. He had two great successes in his life. He, yeah. His first movie was playing George Gershwin in the film biography called Rhapsody in Blue. Right. Seven years later, he did. Uh, he played the lead in Guys and Dolls on Broadway. Scott Masterson, right? Yeah, and yeah. these were two really important jobs that he had. And for the rest of his career, he didn't get to do things that were interesting. Right. And he was uh, he was very anxious about that. Was it odd for him when I don't know when, when he passed, but like he lived long enough to see? Oh yeah, your I, we had him on the show. That's right. He was on, on Mash, wasn't on he? On Mash twice. Once in the show I wrote and directed. That must have been amazing. Yeah. So was it was that an odd? Because, you know, as you say, he had the, he reached these heights and then like any actor, like many actors, or rather I'll say, they struggle maybe is too uh, strong a word, but he probably wanted more no, out of his career. It happens to everybody. Right. There, there is, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't go through ups and downs in the career, sometimes just ups and a down and that's it. Yeah. I always remember Catherine Hepburn, who when she was only 24 had a headline about her in Variety that said, Catherine Hepburn is box office poison. <laughs> 24. She it's lived, over. She lived into her 80s and still playing leads in big movies. Yeah. But at 24, they were telling her she was finished. It's a fickle business. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, like, were you... Because obviously, testament to something like Marriage Story, um, or I could name off like a half dozen recent roles in the last five, six years that, you know... We all grew up watching your work, so I think the next generation is casting you because they, they appreciate your work. Um, were you ever worried that it was going to like dry up as no, you got I don't, older? I don't worry. No? No. I, I didn't worry for the nine years I was trying to become a working actor and, and almost never got work. Yeah. Very rarely got work. I, the, the evidence was... The evidence I was getting was that I wasn't going to get anywhere. But I didn't. I didn't. I paid attention to my desire, my my confidence. For some reason, I had confidence that I'd somehow make a living as an actor, and that's all I wanted. Right, just to I, be able to live. I had a. I had it worked out. At a young age, I wanted to work with other actors who I respected in material I respected. Yeah. In front of an audience that got it, and I've been happy. I would have been happy to do that in a regional theater. And who knew that I'd be doing just that in front of millions of people eventually? Yeah. But that just is the way it happened. I didn't. I wasn't aiming for that. I wasn't trying to make that happen. 
when you look back at the it was eleven seasons, I believe, of Mash, does it all blur together? I mean, that's a huge section yeah. of one's life, and you accomplished an amazing amount there. You know, I I never look at what I've done already. So I used to be if I were passing by a station that was on Mash when yeah. I was turning the dial or whatever we do, press the button. <laughs> Use our minds to change yeah. the channel now. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would. I might watch it for a few seconds and think, no, what, did I direct this? Did I write it? Right. I, I used to know the ones I had written and directed. Then I only could remember the ones I had written. And now I'm not even sure of that. But that's, I mean, for those that don't remember or know that particular aspect, that's that's a really something, like, to put in context, that's like if, like, Brian Cranston suddenly started to write and direct, like, dozens of episodes of Breaking Bad. Like, that doesn't happen. That's a very rare... Well, it happens on a lot of shows, especially shows that run a long time. I guess, but you, but you I mean, you're, you were a huge creative force in that show, and that's... Well, I'm not as much as... The myth on the internet really? indicates. I didn't tell people what to do. The producers did. Got it. I would make suggestions, and once in a while they'd be taken up. Yeah. But I wrote about 20 or 25 shows. I directed about 35 or, I don't know, somewhere in there. But the work I did as a writer and a director was my work. Yeah. But everybody else's work was theirs. Right. And I, I really didn't I, I didn't feel it was my place to interfere with other people's decisions. Did it feel because you were all you were also on TV at a time, generally speaking, when TV and film felt separate, seemingly, mm. and that 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 has blurred, especially in recent years. Where, yeah. Uh, but you, I think, stand apart. Like, you were kind of able... I mean, you tell me. You were able to kind of go back and forth. From You were directing films. Um, yeah. A few years after MASH was on the air, I was able to use the off time in the spring to act in other movies, which was maybe helpful in not being typecast as one, one character. Right. Um, but it also gave me the chance to work with other people and yeah. learn more and have a, have a go at other kinds of material. So we, we, we started by talking about, again, kind of the recurring theme of all your work, which is communication. So yeah. on a set, what do, you, what do you want out of a director? How much communication do you want? Do you want to be directed? Do you want to talk a lot to the director? You know, very few directors give direction the way the public imagines right. it, that no director, almost no director who's any good would say, say the line like this. Right. They don't even say stand over here except once in a while. Mm. Very often they see what's coming out of you and they make something that they can out of that. If right. you're totally off base, you don't have the right, you're coming in from left field, they toss a few hints your way. Right. I don't like hints so much as a plain spoken. Just tell me what you need. To tell me, am I wrong? Am I not? Do I not get it? Right. Because it's possible to learn a scene. Uh, it's happened to me several times. I've seen it happen to other actors, where you think it's about something that it's not about. Yeah. Or that your character is trying to achieve something that he's not trying to achieve, 
it's really good to have somebody let you in on that. Yeah, that's, that seems an important note. Yeah. Am I in the right movie? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just to let oh me know. Oh my God, I'm supposed to be at Universal. Right. <laughs> Wrong lot. Um, you're, um, you're in three of my favorite Woody Allen movies, to be honest. Yeah, I love those pictures. Crimes and Misdemeanors is the like, best. like top 10 movies yeah. of all time for me. It's yeah, just, me it's, too. It's, a, it's just a thing of genius. And I know it, again, it does, I think, without putting words in your mouth, something that I think you appreciate, which is this uh, combination of comedy and drama and mm -hmm. finds. And we can segue that to Noah Baumbach in a second on that. But um, that was your first collaboration with Woody. And you know, speaking about communication, he's infamous for not really communicating. With he does, his he didn't in those days anyway. He didn't talk. Yeah, we've talked more than what he did on that whole movie. <laughs> but he was very respectful, very yeah. uh, courteous. He just he just feels. I think he felt more comfortable not talking. Yeah, and didn't try to impose on, on the actor. And he liked improvisation, which made me very happy because I love to improvise. What was the, was, there, was there some improv on uh, Crimes and Misdemeanors? What do you A remember lot. about it? Sometimes really? he'd say, try to work in this line that I have in this scene because I use it later. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, he, he was very free that way. Was, uh, I read somewhere uh, your past collaborator, Larry Gelbart, might have been an inspiration in some way for that role. Is that fair to say? Was he ever? I don't think so. I could be, but I, I wasn't aware of that. I think, uh, you know, in that, in that, that character carried uh, little recorders around with him right. and would record his ideas in the middle of a conversation with somebody else, which right. is a little strange. <laughs> but uh, the person I met who actually did that was Steve Allen. Oh, okay, yeah. Who wrote about, I don't know, Dozens 20, of books, 20 right? books. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah. But he would be writing them right in front of you. You know, he'd get it, he'd say, about China, <laughs> talking into his little tape recorder. He just had material pouring out of his... He was a very bright guy. Yeah. And, and he just let his brain go. I mean, by that, I mean, I don't mean let it go. No, in, in a good way. Yeah. I, yeah, no, even I remember I was, this is like 20 years ago, I was in college and he came on my, he did like hour long interviews with me on my college radio show. He was just still oh, like, yeah. like so generous and still yeah. like, just like so present. He once did a stunt on Vine Street in Hollywood yeah. where he sat in a window, in, in, in the department store window mm. for 24 hours straight without sleeping. <laughs> Composing songs on a piano, um, he, one after another. He could do everything. He just would improvise a song, and then he'd stop and improvise another song. Amazing. Was um, I do want to mention just because people always mention crimes and misdemeanors. I have a real soft spot for everyone says I love you. I think it's such a sweet. Movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, and you and Goldie are so sweet in that. You're on the piano. You're singing. What are mm. your memories of being on set of of that one? Did it feel like a? That was a lot of fun, and and I loved. And when we did this song, I can't remember. I, I can't remember if we did it live. I think we. I think. I think it was pre-recorded. Oh, really? I can't remember. Okay. But I enjoyed doing that very much. Yeah. And I and I really enjoyed the movie. Ed, Ed, Edward Norton was actually just here last uh, a couple of weeks ago talking about who was here. Ed, Edward Norton. That oh, yeah, yeah, films. yeah. He, I know. He was great in that picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
He was very, uh, very disciplined. He'd go, he had a dance routine he had to do, and he'd constantly go off on the side and suddenly start <laughs> dancing. Amazing. I admired that. So there is, I think, a direct lineage. We can connect Woody to Noah. Noah is kind of like in the line of, of these kind of New York stories about relationships that combine comedy and drama and really get at um, the complexities of love and marriage. Um, that's really what Marriage Story is all about. It kind of, it, it, on, like, again, as I was thinking about talking to you today and connecting the dots, it's, it's kind of like the perfect movie for you because it's a movie about communication. And yeah, I, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at is right at this time in my life when I've written a book about communication. Yeah. I've, for 10 years is our 10th anniversary. We've trained thousands of these scientists to communicate better. And this is a movie about two people who love each other yeah. and therefore communicate pretty well. And then the communication breaks down. Right. And then when they get divorced, they find out during the divorce they have to communicate better than they ever did ever. Yes. And that's, that's such an interesting insight for the audience because you think, I'll get a divorce, I'll end this misery. Especially if you have a kid, you, you don't just end end things effortlessly. Yeah, and it's about the the impersonal mechanics that go along with. Yeah, and there are people whose business it is to get the most they can for their clients, the yeah. divorce lawyers, and that doesn't always help the family. Right. Do you do you like uh, your character? Do you like Bert? He's a uh, you know, I don't have an outside relationship with the characters. You don't judge them. You don't. Uh... I, I sure don't judge them, and I don't. I don't like them or dislike them. I'm, I'm always in favor of them. I don't, whatever they want, I want. Right. <laughs> but when I look at the movie, I, I do now that all the work I've done on it is over. Yeah. I do see an interesting combination of a guy with a lot of principles, who's not really making it very well in the world. No. Possibly because of his principles. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the other side, we have uh, Laura Dern, who's kind of the all business, take no prisoners. Yeah. Um, the one you don't want to see across the courtroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you I'll, you get to share the scene with, um, and I heard your podcast with him, Adam Driver, who's like... Oh, he's great. Just one of our best talents right now. He's amazing. Amazing as an actor and really special as a person. We got to be friends immediately. And I admire him so much. He seems to have the right priorities about life and this business and is not in it for the silly fame stuff. Not at all. No. And he's able to do... He's able to do commercial movies. Yeah. And give them everything he's got, not look down on them. But he's still a very serious person about his work. I yeah. mean, he, he aspires to be an artist, and is. I was wondering if, you know, uh, if we could reminisce for a second about New York. You were, you were born in New York. Where were, yeah. you, where were you actually raised? I was born in New York on 3rd Avenue and 33rd Street. Okay. And I was raised all around the country. Got it. Up and down the eastern seaboard in burlesque theaters. When your dad was traveling, then right? nightclubs across the country. And then California, when my father was in movies, and then back in New York. So when did you move back here? By the time you were in your teens or late or 20s? Yeah, I or? was about 15. Got it. 
And you've always, I mean, obviously um, you've worked all around the world and probably a lot in LA, but has New York always been home base for you? Yeah, for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years or more, we lived in, uh, maybe maybe 25 or 30 years, we lived in a small town in New Jersey, brought our kids up there. Got it. Does New York of today feel like an alien place compared to the New York of your youth? Does it feel like it's still... No, it always... I, it was it was a little different for a while when it was not safe to go into Central Park. Right. In fact, I have a, I had a friend at the time who was uh, held up, and he kicked out at the person and lost his shoe, as he said, in the daytime, the park belongs to us. <laughs> Amazing. So things have changed since Big then. Bang. Okay, so there's some stuff for the better. Um yeah, it's, it's funny because I used to work in Times Square, and Times Square has been through every different iteration. Now it's so, like, Well, the Times Square, when you, when you drive through it, it's like being inside a pinball machine. It's too much now. There used to be it's, that one, you, you were too young to remember it, to know it, hmm. that one uh, billboard of a guy blowing smoke, smoke rings. I know what you're talking about. Camel ads. Sure. sure. That was about it, and that was spectacular. <laughs> I used to, as a kid, I'd stand for a long time just watching those smoke rings. <laughs> now, that was entertainment back in the day, yeah, before right. the iPad. Now it's one huge screen. Every building has been turned into a TV set. It's too much. And they come from all over the world to look at these screens. I know. Everyone, you just go there and you see uh, 10,000 people staring up, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> running into each other. Uh, I want to throw out a couple other uh, directors, and you can we can talk about how you've communicated with them and how you've worked with them. Um, how about David O. Russell, Flirting with Disaster? Yeah, I love that movie. He, he did a really great job. Great movie. Right in movie. Ben Stiller and I were in it to, at the same time. Yep. And we hadn't ever met, but we sort of bonded over the scene we were playing mm. as we were rehearsing the scene. Each one of us started going under the, I don't know if you can just make sense, in the performance, you're yeah. getting subtler and quieter. Got it, going the other way, yeah. Going the other way, and then the, he would go <laughs> lower and I'd go lower. And David Russell said, what are you, what are you doing? You're ruining the scene. <laughs> this is not the way you rehearsed it. That's but we were, having, we were making each other laugh. <laughs> I think it was funnier what we were doing. Did that end up, is that the stuff that ended up in the film? Now I need no, to go no, back. No, we did it David's way. <laughs> but that's no. not a part I mean you he made a very funny movie very very, very engaging movie you and, and Lily a couple that yeah. I never would put on paper but that is the, part of the thing like as much as you have a persona like mm -hmm. I like there is an Alan Alda type you also have done an extraordinary range of performances you've kind of been able to have your cake and eat it too where there is kind of I think if I said Alan Alda to somebody there that conjures up a certain kind of person but and yet like your Oscar-nominated role in The Aviator, et cetera. Like, these are a wide array. Yeah, well, I always, I always aspire to be a different person without the aid of a putty nose, if, right. if at all possible. So, to me, that's harder. Well, and, I, I think of the actors that I like. I mean, I like both kinds, to be honest. I like the ones that will go, like, can transform and go crazy. Yeah, but well, I, sure. But I, I but I think of someone like you, like, I always talk, one of my favorites of all time is, like, Gene Hackman. Gene, yeah, I think he's wonderful. Gene Hackman, like, and I count you in the same category. There, 
every word out of your mouths, I believe. There's nothing, it, it just feels very organic and, and you can make anything seemingly sound natural, which is, I guess, the greatest gift an actor can, can have. Well, I think it's an important element in, in acting, and it, to, for me, it comes out of relating well to the other person. You're right. Because if you're just reciting your lines yeah. the way you figured out you should recite them. Right, before you even got on set, et cetera. Before, before yeah. you heard what was coming at you. Right. Then it's it's not going to seem authentic. Yeah. It, it'll seem like something that's been canned and prepared and yeah. has additives in it. So do you do you then not, in your own head before you get on set, have a a predetermined way you're going to do something? Do you know that it's going to happen in the moment? I try to understand it. Right. The, the intention. The yeah. What the, you, yeah, what, yeah. The, what the character wants. What's happening in the scene. What yeah. the purpose of the scene is. Right. But understanding it is not necessarily knowing how it's going to come out of you. I hope it comes out of me if I do 10 takes. I hope it comes out 10 different ways. Yeah. And, and I hope the director wants that too. I think they, they, they probably view that as an asset in the edit room. You've given them options. Yeah. And, and, and I've talked about this with Noah. We, we saw Noah, Noah Baumbach was on my podcast too. Oh, cool. Clear and vivid. And he... Uh, he agreed that sometimes he would do many takes because in one take, maybe four or five along, yeah. he saw something start to happen that he hadn't expected that was different and fresh. And then he would do more takes to see if that would start to develop into something right. full-blown. And I like that. I like a lot of takes. I like long runs on Broadway, you know, because it gets better. Yeah. I used to have to make a deal with myself on opening night of a play. Don't be depressed six months from now when your performance is five times better than it is tonight. Right, right. You know. Was Glenn Gary an exceptional experience? That I must... loved that. I loved working with Liev. I mean, he's, again, one of our best. Yeah. And now I get, yeah, Ray Donovan, right. of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm doing Ray Donovan with him now. But a guy that can do Shakespeare and do... Oh, he's amazing. <laughs> do everything. And the same is true of uh, Adam Driver. Yeah. It, it's, it's really wonderful what's happening with the profession. Yeah. They're really skilled people coming in. So do you get offered a lot? Like, do you get a lot of scripts that come your way now? I get, I, I don't know what's a lot. Right, I don't know. Yes, I, 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 you get enough. I get, I, get, I get enough to turn things down. There you go, that's all you want. Yeah. <laughs> you want to feel like you can actually make some choices. No, I want to feel like I don't have to do everything that comes my right. way. <laughs> um, so, what, so Clear and Vivid is the podcast, and that continues. Sounds like you're doing more podcasts than I am. I feel lazy next to How you. How many do you do? Well, I do one a week. Well, so do I. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> As long as you keep going, I'm going to keep going. Okay, now I, I have someone to but aspire we've done, to. We've done about 74 shows. How many have you done? I've done more, but I've been doing it for five years. So Oh, well, so yo. I had a head start. Yeah. That's, that's okay. But that's this is not, I wouldn't say my full-time job, but it is, you've got a lot of jobs. Um, but I, I'm curious, so the endeavor of that, is that, is that, is that changing as you as you get more guests on, or was there a clear intention at the start of that podcast? Yeah, the intention was, and why it's called Clear and Vivid, yeah. is that it's about communicating, right? And 
good communicating, I think, should be both clear and vivid, meaning right. engaging, emotional, cap capture the attention of the person you're trying to communicate with. Yeah. And the relating part is really important because it's like what I learned from acting. If you relate to the other character, yeah. the other actor, something happens between you. There's an exchange, not just of information, but of feeling, yes. of awareness. And that's, to me, an essential part of communicating and collaborating. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, communication isn't just delivering a good message. Right. It's developing a partnership with the person you're trying to communicate with. Right. This really is a way of collaborating. It's part of leadership and all of that. And now I've talked myself out of the question you asked. What was it? Oh, the original idea. The original idea. intent, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the original idea was to explore all of what I just said, mm. but in every possible area of our lives we could imagine. Right. Music, diplomacy dealing with hostage takers. Yeah. Christian Picciolini talking about how he got 200 people out of the neo-Nazi movement, having been a member himself, but learning how through empathy to actually get them to turn away from the skinheads. Yeah. That's a powerful story. Judge Judy, courtroom, and a very very interesting conversation with her, un unlike what you'd expect her to be. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Ruth, right? I mean, sure. can't ignore. And yeah, not, that part of life, yeah. Right, and interestingly, she's more, she's more concerned now in this part of her life with communicating above the covers than she w was right. below the covers. Right. But she still talks frankly. She's, she's hilarious. Yeah. In the, and she, she's a free spirit. In the middle of our conversation, which took place in her apartment, her phone rang. She gets on the phone. She says, oh, I'm here with Alan Alda. <laughs> <laughs> She's right on. <laughs> During the night. She answered the phone twice in that whole conversation. She's multitasking at 90. It's, yeah, it's, she pretty, was, it's inspiring. She's, she's great. I, I have to say, your, and your endless curiosity and excitement about all these things is very inspiring, too. I, I also have to say, I, I appreciate... Um, you know, you can't. You you decided to talk publicly in recent years about your your Parkinson's. My dad has Parkinson's, oh, so so I appreciate. How far along is he? He's had it for probably. 10, 12 years, and he's he's been one of the lucky lucky ones. As you know, this is different for every single That's person. That's right, and every day is different. Yeah. So he so does he have postural problems or? Yeah, I mean he has like a tremor, uh -huh. um, but and you know it maybe impairs communication a little bit, a mm -hmm. little bit slower. But we kind of thank our lucky stars, to be honest, because you know it, it's been it's been pretty. Uh, it hasn't been so progressive. Yeah, and the the. The theory, and I think the practice, the, uh, the that it's been demonstrated that it, when you get a diagnosis, it's really important to start a serious, specific exercise program. Right. Not just general exercise, but there are certain things you can do that will improve your mobility. Yep. Not much you can do about tremors. Yeah. But if if you can if you can keep yourself moving. Yeah. Keep your voice in better shape. I'm right now. I didn't warm up my voice, so I'm a little gravelly. Well, it sounds better than me. Don't worry. <laughs> no, no, you've got a good strong voice. But hand-eye coordination and that kind of thing too. Yeah, that hasn't. I haven't lost that at all. That's great. 
That's great. I just uh, just beat a friend at tennis for the first time in six months. There you go. Good. <laughs> a couple, <laughs> couple hours ago. Perfect, perfect. As I said, you're inspiring in every aspect of your life, sir. Um, thank you so much for sharing some time with thank me Thank you. It was fun talking with you. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>